Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Today's is not the first visit we've paid to New Orleans, but it's likely the only time we'll ever cover a cocktail that's most commonly made using crappy grain alcohol and powder mix. Such is the tale of the hurricane, however, a drink as wild and wonderful as a city it calls home. This being Cocktail College, we'll obviously explore how to treat it properly. And the person teaching us how to do so is returning friend of the show, Neil Bodenheimer. For those who haven't listened to his Sazerac episode, shame on thee. But to bring you up to speed, Neil is a big easy native with a growing mini empire of incredible cocktail bars in the city and beyond. He's also an accomplished author. Batten down the hatches, listener. It's the hurricane. And it's a blow in your way, courtesy of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. People love a well-known hurricane. There's just so many people that haven't had one. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's awesome. All right, I'm going to kick this off. We're going to get into it. All right. Um, he's back. Back for a, for, for a second time here, but first time in the studio... It's Neil Bodenheimer joining us today in New York. Neil, welcome. Thanks Thank so much you, for joining us yeah, again. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to be in the studio. It's a lot easier to be face-to-face than it is to do it over Zoom. It's so much more personable, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I believe last time, though, you may have been recording, jog my memory here, but I think you were, you were guest number three, I want to say. I think you were recording in a cabin somewhere. It sounded very I, nice little situation. Yeah, so I was up, in, I was up outside of Asheville, North Carolina, uh, and it was beautiful and mm-hmm. it was great, but I don't think that our signal was very good. It was, <laughs> did, did kind of test the limits of technology on that one, but it was good. It came out great. That one, by the way, is the Sazerac, one of the most listened to episodes of all time here on Cocktail College. Really? If you haven't heard it already, yeah, people love it. If you haven't heard it, guys, go check it out. But don't go yet. Stick around for this one. Neil, today's is the story of the hurricane, to borrow a few choice words from Bob Dylan. And while we won't be covering Reuben Carter or Arthur Dexter Bradley, I'm sure at some point we will encounter a gentleman named Mr. Pat O'Brien. Hope I'm saying that right. I think you've got that right. Yeah, Mr. Pat O'Brien. And you know what? That Dylan reference there, his name does kind of fit in to that mold. But, you know, great song. If you have no idea what I'm talking about there, go and listen to it again after this. Um... Before anything else, though, I'd like to kick us off today with a quote. See if you're familiar with it. Okay, I'm ready. The hurricane is one of those cocktails that gets lumped together with the hand grenade and frozen daiquiri as a symbol of Bourbon Street debauchery. Here's the difference, though. I find the hand grenade, a sickly sweet melon concoction, pretty irredeemable. But there's a time and place for a frozen daiquiri, and I really like a well-made hurricane. These are the words from your recent book about the cocktail today in question. First of all, congratulations on the new book. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? And also, yeah, we're going to dive into that cocktail, that iconic drink, the hurricane. Well, yes, thank you very much. Uh, the, the book is, you know, it's been a labor of love and I didn't really want to write a book. I kind of backed into, into doing it. And luckily, uh, the the co-author of the book, Emily Timberlake, really made it fun to do the project. 
And because of that, it was, it became a labor of love and really a love letter to New Orleans and its culture and its cocktails. Mm -hmm. And what a city for that as well. Um, kind of reminds me, I was thinking about this earlier today when we covered the, the View Carina previous episode. I'm like, it's a real tough one. If you're an iconic drink that comes out of New Orleans, like, I mean, you got some competition there, you know, your Sazerac's, Bucare, other ones too. And and some of these others that we mentioned there from, from your book that maybe aren't as deserving of as much serious attention. But um, yeah, The Hurricane, that book, New Orleans. Tell us about it. Tell us about the, the cultural kind of reference there. And for anyone who's not familiar with the drink itself, maybe what it kind of classically contains. So... I mean, the hurricane is a is a, I think a pretty interesting story. Um, Pat O'Brien was running, arguably running a speakeasy, and and I think it's pretty likely that he was, and ended up opening up a real bar in 1933, as everybody that was in the bar business before mm -hmm. wanted to do after when it was legal, and and he was had a really really famous spot. And it was on it was on Royal Street, and then eventually he moved to where he is now, or to where the the bar is now. And so, what is really fascinating about it is that the 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 legend goes that if you wanted the good stuff, you had to buy the stuff that the distributor wanted to get rid of, mm -hmm. and they really wanted to get rid of the rum that they had and Pat O'Brien really wanted whiskey and gin and all the, and all the hits of the era. And so allegedly, as the story goes in the early 1940s, he had a, a ton of rum that he had to figure out what to do with. <laughs> and so you can see that he was inspired by some of the stuff by the, by the beginnings of Tiki and he creates the hurricane. Mm -hmm. And so the hurricane is rum or rum blend and they think you know that it was lemon for sure and then there's some question about what was in the mysterious syrup fascinola mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of people think strawberry um my business partner kirk who did a lot of research on on the hurricane to to put one on at canaan table he really thought that it was kind of kind of like a you know, in the in the escapism that you see in tropical drinks, that that there was an effort to make a tropical syrup, and so he really believes in passion fruit, which you see in a lot of them. Yeah, guava, and then hibiscus. Wow. Yeah, and it's and it's it's great. I mean, it's a it's a fruit, it's a tropical fruit syrup, mm -hmm. rum sour, and it's and they are delicious. Now, if you go to Pat O'Brien's in New Orleans, and the in the experience that a lot of your listeners have probably had that is it's that's just not what you get there right and and there they have a, a high volume business they have you know they were like many places that have stood the test of time they they wanted to 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 use food science to make to make their drinks easier to scale and they and, and they did you know and so it's 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 very likely that uh there's probably not rum in it anymore uh it's probably a version of grain alcohol. It could be, could be rum. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I've never been back behind the bar at Pat O'Brien's, mm -hmm. but it's definitely powdered mix. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, it's really not true to what the cocktail was 
originally. And as Robert said in his piece, there it, there was really a hesitation for local bartenders to make hurricanes because you felt like it was Pat O'Brien's thing. Yep. And you didn't want to do it, but then, you know, ethically you're looking at it and you're like, shouldn't, shouldn't we just make this and make it, make it good? Yeah. And, and, you know, we started off at Canaan table in the early years, we would make a very simple passion fruit hurricane. Mm -hmm. And then when Kirk dug in, I think it was around 2017 or 2018. And he said, I, I really want to get this right. And so he, I, th I think he hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And then we, uh, we so we have one at Peixos too, that we decided to use a commercially available uh, Fasanola reproduction that Cocktail and Sons makes. Interesting. And that's more strawberry and tropical fruit forward. So mm -hmm. it's, they're very different mm -hmm. and they're both very good. And so it, it really, you know, it's fun because you get to play with the rum blend and the rum blend is going to kind of decide where you end up going yeah. with the hurricane. And, and we'll definitely get into that. And just to pull a few threads together here uh, for context. So first of all, we did mention your, your book at the, up top there. Can you just remind us of the name here of the book? We'll get into it a little bit later as well, but we did mention it and I don't think we called out the name there. Sure. Uh, Cure. New Orleans drinks and how to mix them. Fantastic. And also you called out an article that Robert Simonson had wrote uh, for context there. That was something he wrote for Vine Pair. I want to say it was a few months back now, but just on this topic of a wave of quality hurricanes now re-emerging or emerging in New Orleans, which I think is, you know, between the book and that piece and that trend that's happening, just the perfect... Um, just the perfect reason for us to be here today chatting about chatting about the hurricane um so check that one out on vine pair too as well when you have the time folks um but you did mention you know a few things rum blends the the hurricane mix as i'm just calling it here um but fascinola you said right might mm -hmm. be something that can be used is one of the first things you're looking for from this drink it's kind of iconic red color like if people are recreating it was that on on your, your your partner's mind there when they were looking to kind of recreate a version of this drink in that syrup. Certainly. And and I think that that is it's what it's one of the things that makes it an iconic drink and that that is I mean I I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to speculate but you can look at so many of the famous drinks in the world and they are in the red and pink spectrum. Mm -hmm. You know, it's what it's just seems to be what what our humans are drawn to. Mhm. Mm and so I, I think that what we found is that when we used to do just a passion fruit hurricane, that people were less excited about that than they were when you did the hibiscus or the yeah. straw, you know, the strawberry fascinola mm -hmm. um, syrup. And I think that the red color is a very important part of that. And is there any way anywhere along the line where folks are maybe just using grenadine or, or was there, was there... Um, maybe a conscious decision there not to use grenadine because it feels like that might be something that maybe flavor-wise, if you're adding other tropical tropical flavors too, but also like coloring, it really hits the nail on the head. Yeah, traditionally, if people tried to knock off the hurricane, that's how they would do it. They would, you know, they would make some sort of rum sour and they would put grenadine, grenadine in it. Grenadine in it and yeah. it looks like a hurricane. Mm -hmm. um, interesting one, this one too, that 
It's not the first, but it's among the very few that has a glass named after it specifically. Yeah, yeah, that um, and it, it, I actually don't know the history of the glass, right. which is which is interesting. Now you make me want to go like, like dig into the history of the glass. I wonder if it's like a chicken and the egg situation, right? That the surely the glass was around, but it became synonymous with it, or did they? Inv- I don't know. I, I mean, they sell the glass. Right, and it is called a hurricane glass. You would have to believe that the glass was was manufactured mm-hmm. by Pat O'Brien's, if I were gonna like formulate a theory. But uh, I wouldn't feel comfortable commenting on the history because yeah. I don't <laughs> yeah. know it. Um, here's another one, just to put you on the spot. The name. Do we feel like this is again like uh, it's it's something that is just evocative, which tends to work well. It's not quite as, it's definitely nowhere near as kind of gauche as the hand grenade <laughs> and the, the vessel that that gets served in as well. Uh, or is it also to do with, you know, climactic conditions that are also, you know, prominent in New Orleans? Well, I mean, first of all, I think the hand grenade was a reaction to the hurricane. Yeah. Right. And so I think you, uh, I, I think the hur- I think the, the hand grenade wanted to Take it to the next level. To take it like ten to yeah. 10, 10 levels <laughs> yeah. higher. Um, but I do think that the hurricane is—it's just on people's psyche in New Orleans. I mean, yeah. they're there. I mean, it is—it's the kind of event that we deal with. And you know, I, I was—I've told a few people this lately as I've been really thinking about New Orleans again as we're as we're talking about the book is that, you know, New Orleans is a resilient city and, you know, we can get into whether that's good or bad and the reasons why, but uh, what we also know is that tomorrow isn't promised because of that. And that's part, part of the reason why we, why we revel. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that the hurricane, you know, it's the, it's the thing that always threatens to wipe us off the map. And so it really, it was a great name for a drink yep. because it really, it really speaks to that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's like you say, it's omnipresent there. Just, uh, I, I imagine just living there. Um, another thing you mentioned earlier that I find so interesting about this drink is this idea that even in New Orleans, people hadn't set about trying to create a higher quality version of this drink, especially, you know, over the last 20 years, this seems like, I don't want to say low-hanging fruit, but an ideal candidate because bartenders are, are, are curious folks, right? And as soon as you have something that's iconic but not done very well or not done in, in the mode of what you're doing in this current like cocktail movement, you'd imagine so many people are like, yeah, we're going to do this, but this is a proper one. It's interesting it took so long. And that's not to say that people didn't attempt it over time, but I think that it was so far gone that that people were like, "Why would you make a hurricane? I don't want to drink that." Yeah, and 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 it's not and it's not to say that people around the country and around New Orleans haven't you know haven't taken a swing at it because I think that people have. Yeah, but I think that as people have started to understand Fasanola a little bit more, I think that was really the key, and I just think that every now and then just the timing has to be right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can tell you it's been one of our top sellers at Cana Table 
Uh, you know, we call it the hurricane in table. We don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> uh, and it's, um, it's, it's definitely a popular drink, but we also know that you can have, you know, I've had some rough nights at Pat O'Brien's had a few hurricanes. I've ended up in the black and white picture with a group of people and, and, and I have also regretted it the next day. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'm the thing that I'm most proud of that, that Kirk was able to make something that you can have, it tastes great and you don't regret it the next day unless mm-hmm. like you have like multiples. Mm-hmm. And you touched upon this earlier too, but kind of, and it's at its soul, is this a tiki drink? I mean, we're talking about, we're going to get into rums, but I, I, the argument is you would use at least two, right? If you're doing this properly. Correct. You have a proprietary syrup that's tropical um, and interesting vessel for serving it. And it feels like a, feels like a, certainly a good tank candidate for a tiki drink. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do think that it, it has, I mean, if it's not a hundred percent, a, you know, a tiki or a tropical drink, then it is definitely, it, it, it comes from that same mentality during the beginning of tiki. Yeah. Where it's about, it, it maybe it's a little less transporting. Yep. And it has more of a sense of place maybe than some of the other, um, like traditional tiki and tropical drinks. Yeah. But I do think that this idea of, of kind of more, is more (laughs) (laughs) is, is definitely, uh, is definitely there in the drink. And you look at also, you know, siblings or cousins or whatever, if we're talking about the tiki realm here, um, just, you know, look at the Mai Tai, a drink that's, that's received a lot of abuse over the years. And I don't mean by drinkers, them too, but the people that are making them, you know, certainly really, you know, that the $1, Mai Tai at Applebee's is something I, I I think about very often. Just how was that possible? What was going into that drink? You know, so I would imagine I would imagine that you would deem it undrinkable. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think we're getting too far away from probably grain spirit and powdered something else. You know what I mean? It's like very much of that mold. So yeah, I mean, and that's like you know, I mean, that's what's what's really interesting about drinks and where, and and where we were coming from before the craft cocktail movement. And it's very, it's very similar to the slow food movement. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, it's really grew out of that. And, you know, there was a lot of science and food convenience and food, and that went into drinks. And I mean, you can't blame Pat O'Brien's for doing what was certainly commonplace during that time. And you can't blame, you know, New Orleans daiquiri shops for doing citric acid yep. and corn syrup and grain alcohol. Like that's, that's how they made money. Yep. And, and, and they did it really well for a long time and people drank it mm-hmm. and people enjoyed it. And, but I also think that people didn't know that there were better things <laughs> and it's been our job over the past, you know, two decades, you know, 15, 15 plus years to go through and, and, and to show people why they should drink better. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, people do continue to jo- enjoy those things very much. And you, you only need to take a quick trip down, uh, you know, Bourbon Street or whatever to see. <laughs> people are still reveling in them. But for those that do care, probably the audience of this show, you know, folks like ourselves here, 
there are new avenues for, for exploration and things like that, ways that we can improve upon these drinks. For the hurricane specifically, how much of a challenge is it almost reconstructing this, this recipe when you might not have any kind of reference to what the original tastes like? Or if you've never tasted one before, you know, yourselves, your team, what does that look like? What's the starting point? Is it just that color? Well, I mean, I wouldn't want to speak on behalf of Kirk yeah. for that, but I mean, I can tell you how we kind of approach a lot of different things, which yeah. is, and, and, and I think this is, I think this really, you could apply this to, to any historical drink. We don't, we think we know, but we don't really know what a spirit was at the time. We don't know if the versions that we taste now are, are true versions. You know, if you get a, if you get a vintage bottle, how oxidized is it? How true is it? How much has it changed in the bottle? And, you know, history is not the most reliable in in the world of drinks. I mean, we're lucky that we have some really intelligent and thorough um, historians that 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 keep their eye on drinks. I mean, I, I feel very fortunate that we that we're in an industry that actually that actually does that. And, and, and I think we've got a lot of people, some of them who work at Vine Pair and some of them who work for other outlets and, and authors that are really going back and they're, and they're diving through text. But there, there's also some stuff where people didn't write the recipes down. And so part of it is, is trying to, part, part of it's imagination. And I think that that's what really attracts me to historical cocktails is that you really, in some ways, there is, you have to try and connect the dots Mm -hmm. and you may not connect them correctly, but it's a, it's, it's a logical and creative process in the same, you know, in this, at at the same time. Yeah. And, and that to me is like, it's, it's kind of the magic Mm -hmm. of, of going through and making historic drinks. I would imagine as well that some of that the, the final product, right? The final spec. Part of that must come down to, does this also fit for us as a, as a bar, right? Because correct. I think, I think back to our conversation that we had about the Sazerac and even down to the number of drops of bitters that you're using in that, that I think about that a lot. And ultimately, yeah, you're trying to create something or recreate something. I'd imagine that's historically accurate. Correct. But it fits for what you're doing today. Well, and their and their philosophies, you know, their modern philosophies, like to to say that you don't use run it through a modern lens would be would be disingenuous. You know, you've got you've you know you bring biases, you bring what you bring when you're you know when you're working on something. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, you bring everything that you know in this modern era with you, good and bad. Yeah, and it, it's. It's just a really, I mean, to me, I, I think it's a really fun process, but you've got to make sure that it's, it's, it's a lot like a chef would do too, is that if you make a dish and it's not delicious, then why would you put it on the menu? <laughs> right? right. Just because it existed in history or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like you're not going to put, you know, like there, people talk a lot about the blood and sand, right? Yep. You know, the blood and sand is a very, if you follow the historic recipe, it is a tough it's a tough sell as a drink yeah, on, it's, it's on, a the, tough drink. on the palate. <laughs> and, and so modern bartenders try and make it taste good. And 
And as they should, because in the end, our job is to make things for people that they want to drink. Uh, you know, I would always tell people when I was behind the bar, if I made them a drink that was off menu, I would say, you, you have a money back guarantee here. If you don't like this drink, give it back to me. I will pour it down the sink mm -hmm. and we will start over. Because the reality is, is that the fastest way to go out of business in the bar business is to give people drinks they don't want to drink. Right? Yeah. And also, you know, I would also tell people, I'd say, and you, it's impossible to hurt my feelings. Right? <laughs> and so, like, let's just get that out there. I only want you to drink things that you like. Because if you drink things that you like, you're going to come back and drink more things that you like here. That's wonderful. And I think that also definitely makes people feel more comfortable. And if they feel more comfortable, maybe more open-minded. Maybe they might have been a little bit worried about it before because they're like, okay, someone's making something for me here. I have to like it. Yeah. Um, but in, in that scenario, you feel, yeah, you feel like you You've have- You've got to get out ahead of it, yeah. right? And say like, look, you're not going to offend me. There's 100%. no way. Like I'm, I'm a bartender. I'm dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing you can say that I probably haven't already heard. Right. <laughs> Here's another one for you. It's a slight detour, but I think it's also very relevant for this conversation. It's actually another piece that R Robert wrote for a fine pair fairly recently uh, about the Ramos gin fizz. Okay. And I bring this up because it's another iconic cocktail of your city. Um, but speaks to that conversation of modern day techniques and what's available to us because, and I'm not asking you to call out anyone either way here, but the piece that Robert wrote was bartenders embracing, I'm going to say technology. We're talking about blenders and blenders. things here. Blenders to make and that drink easier to make and ideally for them, like up to the standards of what they would expect for the drink. They clearly think that it reaches it, otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. How do you feel about that? Because the preparation of that iconic cocktail is part of its lore. It's part of the appeal. But on the other hand, like one can bring five of those. If someone orders one and the rest of the people see them, they're like, oh, wait, I'm having that. And then suddenly you're in the weeds. So how yeah. do you feel about that through this lens? Well, I mean, I think it's pretty clear in this business. I used to work for, for a company that used, to, that used to say wine sales are contagious, right? And it's like if one person sees a bottle of wine on a table, then another bottle of wine will go out. It sets the intention for the room. Yeah. And the Ramos Gin Fizz is just one of those drinks. It One person orders one, everyone orders it. <laughs> but so we own or run bars that that do both. Yeah. And, 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 I, and, I, and I believe in both ways. So I, I, I don't think that one way is better or worse. I just think it, well, I actually... To, to be honest, I do think that the blender is a more effective way to make a Ramos gin fizz. Yeah. And I and and I also think that bartenders like making a more in blenders. And to be clear, this is not a modern, like a modern technique. <laughs> bartenders right. in New Orleans have been making Ramoses in blenders for years. Mm -hmm. I think what's nice now is that I think people are really thinking about order of operation and how to use and how to use the blender in a more in, in just a more intentional way. Yep. But I, I like them both ways. Yeah, I really do. And I think that they're slightly different experiences. And I think that there's some bars where you don't want to hear a blender. Like I don't like the sound of a blender, whether it's in a soundproof cover or not. Mm -hmm. And so for that, 
I don't like that. But I also understand if you're going to put a Ramos Gin Fizz on your menu, it would be impossible. Maybe not impossible, but it would be very difficult to do it without having a blender yeah. because you just wouldn't be able to hold on either that or you do like, like what we do in, in DC, which is you use like the finest ingredients you can possibly find. So you can charge an appropriate amount of money for it. Yep. And so that it's something that kind of, you can't, if we, uh, we just know if we were making Ramos and fizzes all night by hand, we would, everything else would suffer. I mean, yeah. the restaurant would go down. Yeah. And so you so you've got to be very intentional about how you use that cocktail and Seems- how you make that cocktail. Sounds like it's also judging the space, right? Like, again, if you have a small, very intimate cocktail bar, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, like you want to call it a speakeasy, whatever, you know, but a small space, maybe you can afford to do it then because there's there's fewer covers and also B, you can't have that blender running in that space. It's just going to kill the yeah. vibe of the room. So we so we do it at Peixos, which is a pretty small room, mm-hmm. but most of our seating is outdoors. And so, there you go. so it makes, it makes sense to run it in that room. But I mean, to be honest, if it was a cold night, which mm-hmm. we don't have that many of in New Orleans, um, and the room was full, it would kind of suck to run the blender. Yeah. You might want to rethink it then, right? Or, or, or go with the flow, see what's going mm-hmm. on. Speaking of speakeasies there, don't want to say that three times real fast, but speaking of speakeasies there, um, <laughs> Another little fun fact I picked up from your book there. I believe that you were saying in there, correct me if I'm wrong, but Pat O'Brien might have been running a speakeasy during Prohibition. And were you not, have you seen that space? You were once potentially offered that space. So, uh, so I was told to go, to go take a look at it and it's a beautiful building. And, and I think it's pretty clear that he was, uh, that he was a bar operator during, during Prohibition. And I think he was just an enterprising gentleman. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I think you see that he was pretty, pretty solid business person because I mean, he built a bar that's really lasted well beyond his lifetime and it's, it's an iconic space and it's a, it's a fun place to go to. I mean, I, I mean, I don't go often, Mm -hmm. but when I do, I'm pretty excited to go there and you, and you see it's, I mean, you, you see its roots, right? Yeah. And, you, and you see that they were doing all sorts of cocktails for years and years and years. And it, it's just interesting to see the life of a bar over a few generations. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's, a, you know, I, I, I feel like the book is kind of filled with those like interesting little nuggets. Um, so again, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm just saying folks, seek one out, seek a copy out for yourselves there. Um, if you love, if you love New Orleans drinks and in New Orleans history and also New Orleans food, we've got a bunch of recipes from, from a bunch of my, um, friends who are chefs mm-hmm. in town. And it, it's, it really is designed to really, you know, it, if, if you, if you crack that book and you don't want to go take a trip to New Orleans, then, then we haven't done our job correctly. <laughs> no, I, I, I can definitely attest to that. Um, coming back to the hurricane though, specifically here, we talked about kind of reverse engineering it or whatnot, but, um, when it comes to this, you know, the cocktail college version, as I like to call it, or the the version that we're taking seriously, even if maybe historically the drink hasn't always been the ideal scenario, the hurricane, what are you looking for profile wise from this drink beyond balance? What are you hoping for from, from that experience? Well, I think that you want it to be, to be fruity, 
without being sweet. And I think that's like the real key is that it's got to have, I think you need like a really like nice level of acid. And, and I don't get particularly, and I know Kirk doesn't either in, in, in the Peixos team either. Like we don't get particularly dogmatic about lemon or lime. And I think that the really fun thing to do is to think about your rum blend. Yeah. But I, I think that, you know, you said besides balance, but really it does come back to balance. And I think that's true in every cocktail. And, and we have a responsibility to make sure that the drink feels not too sweet, not too sour, you know, not too boozy, you know, not too, you know, not too dilute, you know, you've got, you know, you've got to really thread, thread that needle. And that's what you would do for any cocktail, but it's, it's really just being as intentional about making a quality cocktail that just happens to be a hurricane. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And let's get into those ingredients now, especially, and let's start with that rum blend, something you said that's fun there. Um, so what is the argument in favor of creating a blend for this drink rather than just going with one specific style of rum? Uh, beyond this being sort of quasi-tiki, as we mentioned, and that being something that's very common there. What are you thinking about there? So I think that you just want to select appropriately, and you generally you want to you pair a spirit with, with the flavors. But at the same time, what you're looking for is you're looking for depth. And so, you know, you might use, you might want that base to be something pretty pretty neutral, and then you might want to put some like high ester rum in there to make sure that it's got some dimension and some rum flavor. You know, you don't want it to just be totally flat and neutral. You might as well be using grain alcohol sometimes. You know? <laughs> and 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 so it, it just depends on the story that you're trying to tell with the drink. And, mm-hmm. you know, do you like the one at Peixas, we use a, a local uh, fresh sugar cane rum and it's it's wonderful and it really goes well with the strawberry in that. And then at Canaan Table, we use Puerto Rican rum and then we also use Jamaican rum. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, we're just trying to get to kind of a different place. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like here, building upon what you said there, the kind of base, base spirit or the base of this blend, you're maybe looking for the alcohol, like you said, maybe a more neutral profile. So maybe kind of a, an unaged Molasses style rum, is that generally the thinking there? And probably also the one that's going to help keep your margins lower on this drink or higher, keep your costs lower on this drink. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, that's the, you know, we are, we are in business to make money yeah. and, and that's, um, you know, we don't, we, we don't talk about that a lot in the bar business. We probably should talk about that more. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't make money, then you don't want to, then eventually you don't want to go to work. And so that's, you know, that's one of the things that we're, that, that we always try and, and, and pay attention to in our drinks is that mm-hmm. they, they have to be profitable, but not at the sacrifice of quality. And so, and so it is a balance, right? And there are some very, very, very fine spirits in this world that would make a wonderful hurricane and we would have to charge a fortune for it. <laughs> and, and sometimes there's a place, I mean, we do, we do also have a reserve hurricane and it, it, it came in table and that is it's it's a it's a it's a blend of rare rum and and that's really fun too and is that blend completely 
aged or is there some unaged in there as well? It changes a little bit. Okay. So I'd, but I'd you're have saying to take a look and see what they're doing right now. But so theoretically speaking, this is a drink you think that holds up to possibly only including aged rum? Just, Or do you feel like you need something unaged just for the vibrancy there? I think, I mean, I think you can, I think you could do aged rum. I think you'd have to be very specific about which aged rums you used. Yeah. Because I think if you get to stuff that has added sugar, it would be really difficult to, it would kind of muddy the flavors. Yep. But I, I do think that there is a place for, for aging. Mm -hmm. But I think you have to be, you have to have a very light touch with it mm -hmm. because if you don't, it, you could start to get, you could start to get into a weird place. But on the other hand, like you say there, there is that opportunity to maybe using just a little bit, provide some depth. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, it's also, you know, if, as we talk about seasonal drinks, right? There, there are things that you want a hurricane to be in the summer. And there may be, if you wanted to make a hurricane in the fall or in the winter, you might make some different choices. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, we're lucky to have a pretty mild winter. It does get cold here and there. And, and you would want maybe to, to, to pick a slightly different rum blend, mm -hmm. but that's like really one of the funnest things that we get to deal with is, mm -hmm. is thinking about what's the weather, what, what do we think people want and making those decisions. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to pin you down to one recipe today as is customary for this show. So I'm assuming that one would be Kirk's from, from, from the book there. Um, so can you tell us what that final blend of rums is that you have in, in, in the hurricane and table? Okay. So uh, I believe that we use uh, Don Q Cristal and we use Caruba. And so those are the two rums that we, that we have used most recently. Mm-hmm. And then Kirk's Fasanola syrup. Mm -hmm. Which we're going to get into in a moment. But before we do, just plug in Vine Pair articles here today. Uh, Karuba. Let's talk about this for a second because this is one good friend of the show. A friend of mine, Aaron Goldfar, wrote a piece about for Vine Pair as well. This is what Campari-owned rum that basically few people outside of the industry have ever heard of. I've never come across a bottle for yeah. sale ever, but... Uh, and it almost certainly contains additives and whatnot, but people people love it. Tell us about this ingredient. Well, so it, it's got it's got a nice depth and complexity, and it, it's it's a nice it's it's a way for us to kind of add some flavor to the blend. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there are lots of different ways, and you know, it's in some ways I, I hate to mention brands because yeah. I feel like there are a lot of different things that can work, and yeah. it, and it's. You know, sometimes we make a choice and then we'll do, we'll ride that for a little bit and then we'll get tired and we'll say, Hey, we want to mix the blend up. Mm -hmm. So it's just Karuba. The price is great. The, the flavor profile works and it makes it a really profitable drink for us. And that's a Jamaican rum. It's a Jamaican rum. That's right. I need to find myself a bottle of this and just try it on its own. But yeah, I know there's many fans out there, so I couldn't let us pass that opportunity. Um, Next one, I'm guessing probably the the most important part about this drink, Fasanola syrup. Mm -hmm. First of all, tell me about that name. Was does that so that's existed as a product? Like, tell tell us about Fasanola. So Fasanola was the proprietary syrup that Pat O'Brien's made, and which was pretty common in 
in in tiki bars where people would have would have a secret syrup. Mm-hmm. And so this is no is no different. Mm-hmm. And you know there it's hard it's hard to go back and say for sure what was in it. I think you have to you have to make some some logical leaps. Mm-hmm. And it gets back to the other part like you also have to make something that's like delicious mm-hmm. that you want to serve people. And so I think as Kirk was going, he saw that there were a few different recipes for it that he could find, uh, a few different philosophies. He really wanted to get into, you know, he, he he thought that it was pretty likely that it was tropical inspired. Yep. And so that he wanted to make it a tropical syrup. And so with that guava, passion fruit, hibiscus, and but but pretty but pretty simple yeah. syrup. And and I can't imagine that 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 Pato's would have been, you know, given their, given where they went with it. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine that they were like looking to make the most complex syrup in the world. Right. In in. But I also think that you can. That's like the beauty of where we are now is that we can interpret. We can. Yeah. That that syrup, and we can take some creative liberty and license with it, and I, I think that you'll start to see more people do that. I hope. And, 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 and once again, I think that cocktail and sons makes a really good one too. Mm-hmm. And so if you ever want to know what a version tastes like, I mean, you can buy that in a store. You don't have to make it. Yeah. And I think, I guess one guiding rule here, you mentioned this earlier and it stuck out to me is fruity without being sweet. Correct. And I think that's something that's very cute, very, very intelligent you can do whether you you know like a chef or a bartender is like trick the brain into thinking something is sweet by pronounced fruit character Mm -hmm. and it actually isn't because if it were as sweet then then this thing would just be like clawing or whatnot right yeah it's a nice it's a real it's a real fine balance to get there i mean and that's exactly right in if you look at some of the traditional knockoffs of the hurricane if you were to go in other bars um, around New Orleans and you asked for a hurricane, some people would make it for you and, and they would make it with grenadine like we talked about and it would be sweet. And this idea of balance is, is critical to everything that we do in this business. And if you don't have a balanced final product, then people are not going to have that wow moment with it. Mm-hmm. And all right, two questions following up on that. First one being, when it comes to making this syrup in house, mm-hmm. um, so you're using are you using like frozen purees of the fruit? I know there's like very good bar quality ones of those out there. Yeah, so so traditionally we use and we make the same syrup in in, in Washington D.C. at Dauphine's. We use uh, frozen um, uh, passion fruit puree, and then we use um, guava paste. And then we use hibiscus, mm-hmm. and it's nice because you know the Fresh hibiscus, hibiscus or like the dried dried, dried hibiscus, yeah, well, dried yeah. hibiscus, and the hibiscus is a really critical component, right? Because you know what what made this such an intelligent recipe by Kirk is that hibiscus has acidity, and so it really takes a very you know very sweet tropical. I mean, you've got acidity from the passion fruit, and then you've got a lot of sweet and kind of tropical notes from from guava and then you have that that hibiscus that kind of like 
adds acid, adds color, and kind of you know makes it like sharper and leaner. Yeah, and and and, and more acidic. Mm -hmm. And we're also quite literally adding a floral aspect here, mm -hmm. which you just don't get with fruit. Like some fruit have the again the perception of floral notes, but we're we're adding that, which I think just gives a whole nother layer to this drink or that syrup. Yeah, and and that's and and it also. It just it it also makes the color right. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, yeah. and 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 it gets you know. And we and we talked about that earlier. Uh, you've got to steep it long enough. Uh, it can it can turn a little like red, orange, red, burnt mm -hmm. orange. If you don't if you don't steep it long enough. Mm -hmm. And are you having to add sugar to this as well? The the final oh, yeah. syrup. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you are you in the school of like? Um, Measuring bricks, that kind of thing, or are you more like you have your recipe and you tweak by weight, by volume? So we, so a few things. We we use bricks, so we use a little bricks meter when we do frozen drinks. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, we don't use it when we do syrups. Sometimes some we I mean we have in the past, but generally we we go by volume, and the reason why is because we have a large catalog of drinks and I wish that we could go back and do them all by weight, but we would have hundreds of drinks that wouldn't work. Yeah. And we would have to respect literally every drink. Shh. And so the idea is that, yeah, it would be really nice mm -hmm. to do it by weight, but it's just doesn't seem like it's something that would make a lot of sense for us. Mm -hmm. If you were starting out again today, from scratch, is that the way you would go going forward? I think I would, yeah. Yeah, just makes things mm -hmm. easier, or make consistency, or yeah, you know. it's just more consistent, mm -hmm. and and they're just you know you're always looking for ways to make sure that that you've got that that you're taking a chaotic world and trying to bring order to it, and that when you go by volume, it's there's just a little more chaos. Mm -hmm. And when you go by weight, it's more orderly, <laughs> but the syrups are different. You know, the, the balance is different. Yeah. And so, I mean, you're just, it's just going to be a different product. And then, you know, you just, when you see it in, you know, an old milk and honey specs, you know, their, their specs are made for the ice, right? And you see it in people that, that use cold draft, their specs are different than people that use right. other draft. Like that's, you have these things that are, that, you know, that you work with. And the way that you make drinks, the way that you make syrups, the, you, the ice you use, it all goes in to how you make your drinks. Yeah. And and that's why uh, often a recipe from one bar won't translate to another bar because because the variables are different. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, so many things in there I hadn't really considered before that. With the ice, though, um, that's fascinating. Second question that I had for you a little while before there, too, which was, talking about recipe development and specs and things like that, we spoke about how it can get too sweet. But when it comes to developing something like this, at the end, do you sit down and drink a whole one? Because otherwise I feel like the percept balance can change across the drink and depending on how much you've had and also as ice melts. Yeah, particularly for, for a crushed ice cocktail, it's a you know, it is important and you can't, you know, unfortunately we can't tell people at what speed to drink, a drink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, for better or for worse, there's sometimes where like tell yep. someone to slow down. Um, but it, it's, there, there are some things that, that you can, 
that you can affect and some things that you can't. And so I do think it's important. It, a, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll make a drink, we'll try it in the very beginning, and then we'll let it sit. And mm -hmm. then and, and then you'll go back and you'll try it. And then you'll let it sit in the end. And, you know, there's there, particularly for a crushed ice drink, like it's pretty hard for it to be in really good shape in the end. Yeah. It's just, it just doesn't work like that. But in the middle, it should taste really good. And, and right. near the end, I mean, like there is a moment where the, where the ice gives everything that it has and, and that drink will be over dilute. Yeah. Now there are some drinks that can, they can, they can use that, that amount of water. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I feel like there are things like in punch, like there's never enough water to add to a punch. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it feels like a drink that can always take more take water. More. <laughs> and, and then, and then there's some, some cocktails that like the minute that they get more water, they're, they're, they're ruined. Yeah. And so I, I think it gets back to this idea of intentionality and you've got to be, you've got to be intentional about the cocktails that mm -hmm. you're, that, that you're making and to say that you're going to get it a hundred percent right all the time. Like that's just not, I just, I don't think that happens. Yeah. But I do think that if you're thoughtful and intentional that you can, that you can get a good experience most of the time. Yeah. It definitely does seem like a drink like this, the hurricane or anything served over, you know, crushed ice when it's coming straight out the, the tin. Yeah. Maybe it's a bit more concentrated. Maybe it's a bit mm -hmm. more amped up than you want it perfectly but you know that you're going to hit that sweet spot soon. You, it's this, it's this evolution in glass. Yeah. Right? And, and, and that's definitely, you know, you see a lot of times for, for crushed ice cocktails, you know, maybe you'll do a dry shake, maybe you do a whip shake just to try and, you know, just to try and get it aerated, but you know that the crushed ice is going to do its thing. Yeah. Right. And so you have to be aware of that and you, and you have Not to make your that. drinks, yeah. you know, appropriately for that. Mm-hmm. Next ingredient I have here, lime juice or lemon juice. So you said you guys not too fussed about this in terms of, or, or that's been the case over history. People have kind of gone between the two. I mean, I just think it's internal for us is that, uh, I mean, I think it's likely it was, it was originally a, a lemon juice cocktail. I think that's pretty clear. Mm -hmm. But I also think that like it works really well with lime juice. It's a rum drink. Yeah, and it, it does. And <laughs> yeah. it's not like, you know, I don't I don't think that 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 that's where you need to, you know, I don't think that's the hill anybody needs to die on for this drink. Yeah. And also a lot of other fruit flavors and flavors mm -hmm. going on right there, right? Like this is not like a daiquiri or something where it's really going to stand out which citrus you're using. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's so funny because I feel like we've talked about two drinks that are so different. Yeah. And like... They're so like a Sazerac you have to be so precise. And now here I am back on your, you know, back on your podcast <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, yeah, well you could use lemon or lime or you could use this or that. And it's like, there, it's, it's a more forgiving drink. Yeah. I think that also speaks to the, the, the way that it's served though. What we're just, everything we're just talking about there with crushed ice and whatnot. I mean, there's infinitely more variables when you're when you're introducing when you're drinking that way. Yeah, I mean, there's just no place to hide with the Sazerac. Yeah, there's like a lot of places to hide in a hurricane. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, well, I mean, for that very reason, the, the the possibly grain spirit and dry packet powder mix endures. It it does endure, mm -hmm. and and it and it. I'm sure it's 
exceedingly profitable. Yeah, and and you know, it's a, it's a it's a passable drink to to you know you know at the very least people enjoy it. People there, enjoy very many of them. There are visitors that come to New Orleans every day mm-hmm. that have hurricanes, and it is I do believe it's a rite of passage at Pat O'Brien's. Like, yeah, I don't really don't. This is not meant to be a dig at Pat O'Brien's. Not at all. Not at all. They do it in a different way. Yeah. And, and, and they do it in a way that works really well for them. Mm-hmm. And their that, accountants. That's, you know, like, you know. <laughs> no, it's again, just that's not, not the not way that we yeah. do it. It's exactly. just not what we do. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, it, it, it just seems like I appreciate that they do that. Mm-hmm. And it's just not the way that we run our business. It's like, and, and again, I'm trying to think of a, an anecdote here as well that doesn't, or a metaphor that doesn't, you know, because again, I do not want this to seem like we're, we're doing down on Pat O'Brien's or whatever. I guess it's like, you know, Shake Shack versus any one of Danny Meyer's other restaurants. And you look at the burger, what are they doing at Shake Shack and what are they doing at their other places and how are they serving it and how much are you paying for it, right? Like it's the same thing there. One's, one's intended for mass consumption and the other is a little bit more hundred yeah. percent. I mean, I, I think that's exactly it, right? Like the decisions that you make when you're serving a huge amount of people, they're different than what you do when you're, when you're not. Mm-hmm. And you, and, and you have to make decisions like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I'm going to say that I think that a lot of cocktails on draft just don't taste as good as a la minute cocktails, 100%. but there are some venues that really need cocktails on draft to to thrive. They need that to handle the volume. Mm-hmm. And that is the decision they have to make for their business. And I guarantee you that the businesses that do it are pretty happy that they do it. Yeah. I'm just worried here now. I I, I can hear the people saying now as well, how dare you compare Shake Shack to a powdered mixed cocktail? I'm going to say it here though, folks, not a big fan of Shake Shack. Sorry, Danny. I am not the biggest fan in the world of that. I'm, you know what? I'll take a five guys any day. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't discriminate. I like, I like hamburgers in all shapes and sizes. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. And I, and I would say that maybe a McDonald's hamburger, uh, versus, a, a, a Gramercy Tavern, uh, experience. <laughs> it might, it might even be a better, <laughs> might be a better one. A better yeah. Comparison. I think you're right there. Yeah. I was trying to be kind to the folks at Pat O'Brien, but we can't please everyone anyway. All right. Let's talk about this now. Preparation of the drink. Mm-hmm. Um, talk us through it here as if you were, you're making the version, um, that, that we've been speaking about today from start to finish with, with measurements and whatnot. So we generally, and, and it depends, like at, at Dauphine's, we use, um, a, we actually use Don Q as well in that, but then we use uh, Appleton mm-hmm. uh, signature in it. And it's really nice as well. I have a feeling that might be in the, uh, anyway. Yeah, I think that's the one that we, because initially at Canaan Table, we used Appleton and then we decided to change to Karuba. Mm-hmm. And we've gone, and I will say that we've gone into a frozen machine. We've gone out of a frozen machine with that yeah. drink. Like it's, it's done a lot of different things for us. So, and, and we do change it based on, based on what we're doing. So generally we do like one and a half of the, of the more neutral, um, rum, yep. the uh, Puerto Rican style. And then we do about a half ounce of the, uh, of the Jamaican rum. Mm-hmm. And that will have seen some age. Uh, yes. Yep. Yes. And then it's really a two, three quarter, three quarter sour. Okay. So three quarter lime or mm-hmm. lemon, depending on which one we want to do. 
and then three quarter fascinola. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really easy pickup for bartenders because it is, you know, it's a three bottle pickup. Yep. And that, and so that makes it really, really fun for us. Mm -hmm. And so if, if it's, I mean, personally, I like to do like a little, a little whip shake on it, get it like a little cold, but. So you're sticking what, like one or two. Yeah. One or two cubes. Mm -hmm. And then just give it, just give it a real, 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 real quick shake and then get it, you know, just get it aerated. And then I'll go on to crushed ice from there. Perfect. And I would imagine chilled hurricane glass, if you have the space for it. In if the, you in have it. the space for it, the hurricane glass is not the easiest <laughs> glass to fit into the, into the, into the freezer. <laughs> you know? But, um, but yes, in a, in a, in a, in a perfect world, you would, mm -hmm. you would, you would have that at Canaan table. It is a 200 plus year old building with very limited refrigeration. <laughs> you so, do not have a hurricane no, glass chiller. No. Um, garnish. Garnish. That, and, and this is where, you know, you can, you can take a little creative license, but we, we do believe that the blown out, uh, umbrella, the blown out parasol is the move. And so you take your parasol and you flip it open and then you kind of take it and you, and you move it up. Fantastic. Yeah. And that, that to me is the non-negotiable, um, we'll use dried oranges sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes we just use the, the, uh, little paper parasol. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love that. I mean, it speaks to the drink so perfectly there. Um, any final thoughts on the hurricane today that we haven't covered? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, that the hurricane is, is, is supposed to be fun. And I think that it, it's not a drink that should be, you know, obsessed over in, in the most serious way. I think that, mm -hmm. you know, I think the syrup... I mean, if you really wanted to get to get nerdy, I think the two places where you'd get nerdy are on the are on the syrup, maybe on the rum blend. The rum you can blend, definitely yeah. do a lot more, a lot more customization there. Mm -hmm. But I just think that the if I could kind of leave you with one thought on the hurricane, it's like just make it balanced. Yeah, just make it into a drink that you want to drink, that tastes good, and that's the most important part. You know, it's like. Um, I was telling someone this the other day. Um, there's a saying that is, I, uh, I didn't ask how to build a watch. I asked what time it was. And very often we make things that are, that are overly complex, right? When people just want to drink that just tastes great. Yeah. And so if you focus on making drinks taste great, that's really half the battle, more mm -hmm. than half the battle. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, again, you said it earlier, you can't insult me as a bartender, you know, but most people might not come into your bar expecting to hear about everything that went into that drink or the preparation or whatever. They just, they're just looking to, to have a refreshing drink, maybe get a little, get a little buzz. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I think they want to drink delicious things and they want warm hospitality mm -hmm. and in a great space. And I, and I think that's, I really think, I mean, I know that sounds simple and it is, it's a Sisyphean task, mm -hmm. but that's, that's what we do and that's what we have to do. And, you know, ultimately we can get into the thousand pieces that go into trying to accomplish that, but it, you can't lose sight. You can't get into the weeds on it so mm -hmm. much that you're not doing the non-negotiables in our business. Yeah. 
Yeah, not everyone wants to see um, or hear how the sausage is made. They just want to no. just want a couple of links off the grill. Agreed. Well, luckily, your <laughs> luckily your listeners want to hear how the sausage yeah, no, is made. Definitely. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And 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 like you said there too, I I I think it is great that we are covering this drink today because it it is a polar opposite to the sazerac that we covered um, all that time ago. I know, and like, and as, as like persnickety as I am about the Sazerac, I'm like, I don't know. You do this, you do that. Like, <laughs> speaks to the speaks to the lighthearted nature of the hurricane. Hundred percent. All right, let's do it. Let's um, let's roll out the the second set of questions here. That the the set that we use, the set that we share with our returning guests. How are you feeling? Are we ready for this? Oh, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. <laughs> Question number one, which spirits category are you most excited about currently from a personal or professional standpoint? So there are many, but I, I find myself consistently drawn to O to V. <laughs> and I just think that they are often singular experiences and spirits and i just think that they vary from one producer to the next and I, I think it's it's an art form and so i am very 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 excited about o to v all the time i'm so there with you on that one that's the that's the one i like to hear and um sadly probably never going to happen in the in the big way you know that tequila or even mezcal that we see these days but i mean i don't, I don't think it, i don't think it could happen no, no right yeah it's so true but you know what i will take some some german carrot eau de vie no austrian Riesebaum. oh yeah. yeah 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 that stuff's delicious stuff's amazing i saw it i was in the aster wine and spirits the other day and had to had to, you know, control myself there and not and not buy another bottle because it ain't cheap either. But no. uh, it is; it's definitely well, it, worth it. And it costs a lot of money to make those. And, yeah, and it's and it's it's it really is a labor of love. Mm -hmm. And there, if if you don't get the right growing season, you don't get you don't get O to V. Right. Yeah. This is a spirit, but you might as well. You know, it's it's, it's like a wine. You know, it's mm -hmm. you know stakes are high. Well, and you know, I I think. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to to O to V, like very much like you see in the wine world. I think what you're seeing in the wine world is going to spill into the brandy world. Yep. And so I think global warming is going to change a whole lot about how we drink brandy in O to V. Yeah. That's it's it's a theory, but I think it's but I, but I think it's likely. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I, I think the parallels are are there definitely between wine and that. So um, enjoy it now. Folks, mm -hmm. if, if nothing else you take away from today's episode, go out there, drink more O2V, especially Ab now. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Question number two. What was the last drink you had that wowed you? Could be a cocktail, could be a new spirit, could be an RTD. It's a really, it's a really tough question. And... I really can't remember <laughs> that, that, that. I mean, in, in some ways, I feel like there are things that I try all the time that I think are wonderful and well-made. And, and, and I don't know if it's like a function of, of age or experience, but it's very, very, very difficult for me to be like, wow. Yeah. That like really, and it's not, I, I'm always like, that's good. 
right? And I can appreciate something for being good, but there, there are very few moments where I'm like, wow, you just blew my mind. I think that speaks volumes. I think that speaks volumes to what it's like to be in the industry for, for a decent amount of time, you yeah. know, to, to not give you enough credit there. Um, but, <laughs> you know, to have so much experience, yeah, it, it's true. And, and oftentimes, like, the ones that might be most noticeable are because they're different and different doesn't necessarily equate to quality. That's, that's 100% true. And, and, and it's not to say, like, there's nothing jaded about that. That I'm that I'm saying. I, I think it's it's that, that I think there are a lot of great things to drink in the world. There is incredible wine, and new techniques on spirits, on on fermentation. I just think I'm very excited about a lot of things in the world of spirits. Mm-hmm. But I think it is something that 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 happens with age, where you. I, d- I don't get overly excited about anything and I try and keep it pretty, pretty even mm-hmm. and I can, and I can say, wow, that's great. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm not like, oh my God, I got to have more in this and more and more. Yeah. Like they're, they're very, they're very few experiences like that, which mm-hmm. is probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there, you also run the risk at some point of maybe pigeonholing yourself in a way mm-hmm. or you know, opening that bar that's singularly focused, which, you know, there's positives, but there's also disadvantages to that. So, yeah. Yeah. And and it's, I mean, I just think people today, I mean, we see higher and higher quality cocktails coming out. We see a lot of really high quality beverages and uh, it would be hard to choose, you know, the top, the tippity top, (laughs) but I don't know. I still can't, I still can't think of like that one that like Mm -hmm. broke, that like broke my brain Mm -hmm. recently. Still time. Still time. Still time today. And it's also probably that I'm just like not remembering it too. (laughs) I think that's a good answer. Question number three. What's one book you would recommend that every alcohol and cocktail enthusiast should own a copy of? I'm just going to say it already. We've already mentioned one, your book today. Again, folks, check that one out. So apart from that, can be a recipe book, but doesn't have to. What's one or maybe a couple? You know, I, th- I think when we were kind of, when we were discussing this earlier, I, I was thinking a lot about it. And there are just, there's a wealth of cocktail knowledge in books now. And uh, it's the modern, the modern era has so many and there are ones that are releasing every, every day that, that really are, you know, better and better and better. But for me, I, I can think of three books that made a huge impact on me. And so I think if I'm kind of running this through the lens of if I were looking to really turn on the light for cocktails. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, I think Dale DeGroff's book is, it was really important for me. And I, when I was a young bartender, I used to tote it around and read it and it really made an impact on me. And then obviously Wondrich's uh, imbibe really made a huge impact on me as well. And then 
I used to I used to carry around the the uh, Savoy cocktail book to work sometimes, and and I would try and make these drinks that just didn't seem to work. Mm-hmm. And you know we we just talked we just talked about this with the hurricane that I think that the process that I learned by going through the Savoy cocktail book was that number one you have to make delicious drinks because yeah. some of those drinks if you make them to spec are not delicious. You have to understand that what you're using today isn't what people were using. And you, and so you, it's, it's a, I just think it's a, a, it's a cerebral exercise in making classic cocktails, historic cocktails and understanding that you've got to, you've got to wiggle sometimes to make great drinks. You've Mm got to stay true to, to, to what they are, but in the end, you've got to, you've got to make those decisions in the present of what's going to make a great drink, but is still true to the historic drink. Mm -hmm. And, and, and. I mean, by the time of the Savoy cocktail book, are we actually even, do we even have like numbers for measurements? I I know, Mm -hmm. for example, like even, you know, Jerry Thomas, you know, you look at his book and we're talking wine glasses, right? Yeah. What the hell is a wine glass? You know, like, and and I've gone down that, yeah, 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 it's it's parts and I've gone down those rabbit holes, but all of which is to say that like, yeah, you have to interpret it and, and probably like you say there, tweak for modern ingredients and technique. You do. And and so I think that, I, I think that there's like laying a foundation and I think that there is understanding how to make, how to make drinks, understanding what's a good drink, what's a not, you know, what's not a good drink. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think that the Savoy cocktail book is great because you have this gap mm-hmm. that you have to close to make great cocktails out of mm-hmm. it. I like the Savoy as well. Very economical when it comes to providing context or, mm-hmm. or anything other yeah. than basically ingredients and measurements. You know, it's a, uh, it's very succinct when it comes to directions. There, there, yeah. There's not a lot. There's and you've not got, a lot. And so you've got to you've got to make the leap. Yeah. And uh, I just think it's if you're if you're making drinks, I think it's a great way to go through that exercise. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Question number four. If you could appear in one movie scene where alcohol plays a prominent role, which one would it be and who would you like to play? The Shining, the bartender from The Shining. <laughs> if I didn't actually have to be the bartender, if I could yeah. be like the if I could be the actor that played the bartender, Even I better. wouldn't I wouldn't want to be, you know, condemned to a lifetime mm-hmm. of uh of being <laughs> being an evil spirit, but I would I I I just love Love the, you know, I just love that scene and mm-hmm. I love the, like, the the classic bartender. I just think it's like that, like, to me, it's probably the one of the most iconic bartender mm-hmm. roles in a movie. Lloyd. Lloyd. What a man, you know, that very much introduced me to the phrase, hair of the dog that bit me. <laughs> <laughs> What's the other one? Uh, interesting as well, too, that he asked for a bourbon. And mm-hmm. he served Jack Daniels. Yeah. Kubrick just getting ahead of that argument there, you know, <laughs> all that time. <laughs> Kubrick predicting it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he was just uh he was just looking looking forward. Yeah. <laughs> he knew it. I tell you what though, you know, if you want if you want a movie where people very much uh geek out about symbolism and overthink things, there's a couple of documentaries about the shining and it's uh interesting one. Stephen King hated it. Did he? It's the least favorite adaptation of all time. Huh. Yep. 
It's like well, he thought it was terrible, but yeah. But but then everybody else loved it. Everyone else thought it was a masterpiece. <laughs> so, you know. All right. Final question for the show today. Which modern classic cocktail do you think is deserving of more recognition than it gets? I mean, this is another really difficult one because there are so many great drinks that are out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that when a drink is so well-received that no one knows who made the drink is generally a good a good example of a drink that 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 we need to be talking about. Yeah. I mean, I would say that 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 Phil Ward's Oaxacan old fashioned is certainly in there. It is it's everywhere. Yeah. You know, it is it it is truly that drink that you see you see a Oaxacan or an agave. Yep. And in in it's it really changed the way that people thought about using agave spirits. And I, I just think it's it's it, it's a drink that will stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. It's going to. Mm-hmm. I hope the listeners forgive me for this one because I can't remember whether I've spoken about this on the show before or not. But when it comes to looking at that drink, is that the first time, at least in your knowledge, that a bartender took the old fashioned template and said, "I'm I, I'm going to use that template, but introduce a new spirit here, but." Also use the fact that, you know, at that time, the old fashioned was the thing. It was, it was Mad Men. It was the, you know, the craft cocktail movement. Like it was that thing. So just pegging yourself to something everyone knows, but saying, here's a new spirit you should try. Like had people done that before? Had people used the old fashioned as a vehicle like that? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to comment on that, but I do think that it was, I think it was pretty impressive, right? Because it was it was taking, it, it it was taking something that was, I think you saw people making old fashioned variations with things that, that really were close to whiskey and rye, yeah. you know, or, you know, you'd see people making rum old fashioned, you'd yeah. see people making split base. But I think that when Phil took it and, and did what he did and used an unaged mm-hmm. mezcal in it, it really... I think it it really made people think about that format and in in the fact that it was maybe even even more adaptable mm-hmm. than than we had even realized. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think it's now you see old fashioned variations of a thousand different yeah. different spirits. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 great. And but I but I also think back a little bit to like you know, the, you know, improved Geneva and fancy Geneva. And, you know, if you were using a Geneva that didn't have a lot of age, then it was, it kind of had similar, mm-hmm. you know, a similar kind of feel to that drink. But I think what, what made Phil's new classic just seem like it had been there for forever is that it just, tastes great yeah it's very it's it's and it's flexible right you know he called for specific bitters but you can make yeah can make it without those bitters and it still tastes great mm-hmm. there are people that make it with syrup there are people that make it with agave nectar there it, it's it's just 
it's a good enough spec mm -hmm. that when someone makes a choice that isn't a hundred percent on spec, it still executes well. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, I think that's a, I think that's a sign of a classic. It's gotta be able to, to fit into multiple bars. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so, it's so interesting because when you're talking about that, I, 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 I'm thinking of another drink here that's somewhat similar, which is the white Negroni, mm -hmm. but arguably that's much more rigid, right? The, to my mind, the white Negroni is a celebration of Sue's, much like the Negroni is a celebration mm -hmm. of Campari and everything else is kind of like you, you pick up what you have, yeah. whereas this is a different story. It is. It is. And, and, and I think that, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why the old fashioned has done so well is that it is, it is pretty flexible format. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's interesting in particularly running it through the lens of, of the, you know, of the hurricane. If you run it through the lens of the hurricane, you realize that it's a pretty simple format as well, which makes it pretty forgiving. Yep. And so as people take that drink into their bar, they can play around with it and it can still be a hurricane and they can still say that they're, ser that they're serving a hurricane. Mm -hmm. And, you know, much like a Oaxacan old fashioned could become an agave old fashioned or could become, you know, an eau de vie old fashioned or whatever, <laughs> or whatever you want to do. Neil. Pro that you are there, bringing us back to the top, bringing us back to the topic as well, <laughs> the hurricane. Thanks so much for joining us here in the studio today. It's been a blast. Yeah, I'm I'm really thrilled to be here, and it's it's great to be, great to be back in New York, and and it's uh, and see it starting mm -hmm. to thrive again. I, I I see hurricanes in our very near future. Yeah, we've got to figure that out <laughs> asap. Well, definitely there'll definitely be some some hurricanes tonight at uh at a porch light. Yeah, shout out to some of our other friends there, Nick Bennett, among mm -hmm. others, I'm sure that will be there. The book launch, looking forward to it. Neil, thanks again, man. Tim, thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of VinePair's Cocktail College is also published on VinePair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, Go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, Fine Pairs Tastings Director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vine Pair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at VinePair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. <laughs>